Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you be more successful at work and in your life. We profile topics and speakers that are influential in your world. Here are your hosts, Jen Nicholson and Blair Cook. Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Blair Cook. And I'm John Nicholson. Today we have with us Mark McKinnon. Mark is a partner with Deloitte's Cyber Risk Services and deputy to Deloitte Canada's National Cyber Risk Managing Partner. Mark's experience of more than 18 years ranges from leading large-scale, complex, domestic and global client cybersecurity engagements to designing and running security outsourcing services for some of Deloitte's largest multinational clients. In today's podcast, Mark talks with us about the importance of being a secure, vigilant and resilient organization. And he told us what script kitties are. Let's definitely listen in. I'm so happy to be here today with Mark McKinnon partner with Deloitte. Mark is going to talk to us today about cyber risk. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So your talk today was about the importance of being a secure, vigilant, and resilient organization. What exactly does that mean? There's really not a day that goes by where anyone actually kind of reads the news, opens the newspaper, and you don't read about, you know, one of the latest technologies. It'll be, you know, artificial intelligence, the internet of things, wearables, all those types of technologies that organizations are adopting in order to be able to further their business. You also don't tend to miss, you know, an article that talks about a cyber risk. Absolutely. And a cyber incident that actually has occurred. So organizations are really at a standstill or a kind of a crossroads in terms of, you know, how fast do we actually invest in some of these technologies? How do we actually manage some of these risks? So what Deloitte has is that we have a model that we call secure, vigilant, resilient. And it's just a way of thinking and applying many of the concepts for security in order to be able to do it in an appropriate way. So secure really looks at what's that right size level of control? What's most critical to my organization? You know, many organizations call it the crown jewels. What's most critical in terms of impact and value? What's the degree of exposure, the profile associated with that? And how do I make sure I have the right controls around it? How do they know all of those things? Because so many organizations, when they look at new technologies, they really are focused on how that's going to help them grow and be more efficient, more effective. And the risk side is, is not, even, not even on the radar. Yeah, it, traditionally it hasn't been. More of the progressive organizations are understanding that risk actually could fuel performance. They understand that, you know, cyber risk is really should be just treated like any other type of strategic risk is that, you know, there's a risk and reward associated with it. So as they go and, you know, look for further innovation, they adopt some of these technologies, not only is it going to further their business, there's also going to be an understanding that could expose them to different types of security risk as well. So now they're starting to embed that whole decisioning process into when we adopt a new technology, have we actually considered what actually associated impact or cyber risk could be with it? And what does it mean to be vigilant? Yeah, vigilant really means uh, kind of almost like situational awareness. You basically have a, a footprint, either it be a digital footprint, either personally or through your organization. And what you want to be able to do is you want to be able to understand and control that footprint. So vigilance is a look on the inside and the outside of who, again, may be interested in attacking me. What would be the motivations associated with that? If there was to be an attack, how vigilant am I or how am I actually prepared in order to be able to detect that? What we do know is that in the past, and even unfortunately till today, is that the majority of incidents that are occurred don't actually get identified by the organization. Wow. Yeah, it's usually law enforcement or a third party or someone that's able to pick that up that, hey, you guys are being exposed. Vigilance is really to try and translate and turn that around. How do you actually identify it in a timely manner so that you can actually manage the impact? And what does it mean to be resilient? Resilient kind of follows right along with that. 
So resilient is many instances, unfortunately, organizations will experience a breach. They shouldn't succumb to that fact, but it is a high degree of probability. So resilience is how are we positioned in order to be able to minimize that? So once we detect it, do we have the right processes? Do we ha- have we practiced those processes? Do we have everything in place in order to be able to manage that risk or manage the cost or the impact associated with it so we can get our business operations up and running in a very short period of time? We're communicative. We, we retain the trust that we have with our consumers and our customers so it uh, limits the total impact of that particular breach. Yeah, I mean, we've all certainly felt it with retailers and That's different right. programs where our credit cards or those types That's of things. Right. Yeah, it's definitely not just organizations. It impacts on a personal level as well. Absolutely. What are the biggest risks now? Yeah, the biggest risks are interesting. So it really does depend on a number of things. So there's, you can always look at the risk to the consumer. You can look at the risk of the organizations. Some of the things that we were seeing is that if I kind of look at, at both would be the uh, ungoing uh, sophistication and acceleration, what we call kind of scalable, profitable and impactful types of attacks. And all that references is that if you think of uh, the, the, the criminal, it really is a risk and reward basis, right? They're going to focus on the things with the highest reward with the lowest risk. So, you know, if there's something that they can actually conduct and they can do it to the masses and it's pretty low risk of getting caught and it's pretty, you know, lack sophistication, they're going to do that if there's a good impact or a good uh, impact or profitability associated with it. So things like ransomware, that's certainly getting a lot of attention. What is that? Ransomware, you can almost think of it as, I'd say, maliciousware, something that's bad that cyber criminals use in order to be able to um, almost to prevent a user from being able to use or cease the use of the device, computer, data, and in return for a ransom. And do people pay the ransom typically? Well, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing. Like ransomware, if you look at the news, it's, it has been uh, continually increasing and growing at a significant rate, and it will continue to do that. Part of the reason is it's been effective because people are paying. But what we are starting to find is, is that the more people pay, the more the variants that are out there, the more people that are committing it. There's a number of different trends that actually occur as well, which would be things such as quality control. So the more people that are into the game of conducting ransomware, what we're also finding is that it was almost a honor amongst thieves in the sense that <laughs> they would actually give you your data back. That's what I was wondering is, do you actually get it back once well, you pay your well, ransom? Well, traditionally, right? there was a high percentage of that oh, because wow. they wanted the business model to continue to operate. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> once that business model broke down, then actually then no one would pay. But what we're finding now is, is that, you know, some stats are is that 25% of the instances actually don't get the data back. And it can be various reasons, but part of it is the quality because so many people are into it now, they're using poor technology or they're not actually very sophisticated in the way that they do it. When they give you the keys, it just doesn't work. Low barriers to entry, I guess. Low barriers to entry for (laughs) sure. Absolutely. So other than ransomware, what else do you see? Sure. You know, business email or business process compromised threats are, again, a significant thing. No matter the size of the organization and, you know, what this would be an example of is if you uh, understand the concept of what we call spear phishing, which is basically identifying a person of interest and sending them an email in order to hopefully dupe them into doing something. So a good example would be if you're able to uh, focus on the the chief financial officer or controller, someone that really manages the finances within the organization, you may want to either send some of their colleagues or them directly an email. And in that email, let's say it's their colleagues, it may actually specify that they want a wire transfer. And, you know, they want a wire transfer to X, Y, and Z, and it's approved by them. And because it looks like it's coming from them, 
you know, people are very quick to react and they're basically just following the process that they're seeing. And then therefore that exposes the organization to risk. Wow. Anything else that's really common? Yeah. I would say the other one is what we call a distributed denial of service attacks. What this is essentially is, is basically many instances harnessing the power of the internet in order to be able to execute an attack uh, on an organization in order to be able to prevent business operation. So a good example of this was what we saw kind of late last year is the Mirai botnet. And really what it did was it really secured the, uh, harnessed the power of all the insecure monitoring devices, cameras, DVRs, everything that's out there that relies on usually homogeneous technology and very poor security uh, behaviors in the sense of no one changes the passwords and everything else. Right. They're basically able to take that computing power and then bundle that together and then go and execute an attack in terms of trying to stop the operations of a large organizations that are just unable to protect against that because of the, the, the volume that is actually posed against it. So that we're wow. starting to see a lot of increase in relation to that. Wow. And uh, what happens when a cyber breach occurs? What does it look like? Sure. You know, if I look at the anatomy of a cyber breach, we kind of uh, typically what you'll hear in the industry is what we call a kill chain. The kill chain is a series of events that actually take it all the way from what we call the reconnaissance, kind of the discovery phase, all the way to actually the full exploit. If I was to kind of summarize it is that the reconnaissance phase is really around that. How do you actually gain insight into the organization? So it could be around, you know, uh, performing scans against the... uh, the, uh, your websites or, or your technology. It could be around looking at things such as your employees' LinkedIn to see if they're actually able to procure data intelligence about your organization. It could be looking at how normal business processes operate so that when they try to mimic that, they know how it's supposed to be run in the organization. The next thing is in order to be able to gain control and, and maintain access. So we do know the most prevalent way is using stolen credentials. You know, we've seen a lot of incidents more recently in the news in Canada here with some of the large retailers have indicated, you know, some of the challenges with their loyalty cards. It's very important to note, it's actually not those organizations that have been breached. It's really just where the cyber criminals have actually procured username and passwords from large breaches that have occurred like Yahoo and others. And because... Unfortunately, people use the same username and password. They're using those to actually log into the system. So what do they do once they get that information? So I know one of my loyalty cards, mm-hmm. I believe, was recently hacked. And I mean, why? Is it that, that they then get a lot of points and can go and buy get a lot of free groceries? Is that sort of the, Absolutely. the purpose? That's or, really what it's or, about? Or you buy uh, gift cards. Wow. Right. And uh, and that's what we saw. Part of it, it's a game for people. Um, you know, they get enjoyment, they get excitement out of some of these things. But the other part is, is that there's actually a true dollar lost. And, and we do find is that many of the large retailers, albeit that say it's a grocery, they also sell electronics. Right. They also sell gift cards. And uh, that's a very lucrative way to almost launder your money in some ways, right, in order to be able to do that. Wow. So what are the impacts to an organization then when when something like this happens? Yeah, it's a very good question. You know, it's something that's becoming more and more well understood and known in the industry is because typically is that a a lot of organizations didn't report before. And then two, there was a lot of newness in terms of actually how do you measure the impact? But as things like uh, cyber insurance and others are becoming more prevalent, they're doing a lot more analysis in terms of what is actually the impact of that. A lot of what get reported typically in the news is what we would call above the line costs. These would be costs associated with things like, you know, the uh, the PR that would go along with it, public relations. It could be around fines and penalties from regulations or lawsuits. It could be things around breach notification if you have consumers that have been impacted or or protection, consumer protection. Those are all usually what get baked into the cost there that, that people uh, inform you on. But we also know there's a whole bunch of costs below the line. And those are things such as cyber insurance. So cyber insurance can actually offset 
an incident. But when they actually try to renegotiate premiums, we also know that probably either not going to get uh, a new premium or it's going to be a 200% increase. That sounds like any kind of insurance, exactly, really. Exactly. Yeah, right? same approach. It could be is that, um, you know, when you go and try and procure new debt in order to be able to fund your business, what we do know is that in many large instances, the credit rating is devalued. Oh, wow. So then you're a higher risk borrower. That's right. And there's interest associated with that. Could be loss of contracts and customers. There's a whole bunch of things that don't typically get measured in the impact that are becoming more well-known today. Do most organizations have cyber insurance? It's uh, funny enough, actually. Deloitte, Never heard of that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Funny enough, Deloitte actually just recently released a report. And it's such in its infancy now. We do see an ongoing increase in the number of organizations that are actually starting to either investigate or procure cyber insurance. But there's just... There's so much uh, newness in terms of the actual product itself where the insurers are still trying to get a sense of how do they actually value cyber insurance to the organization? How much risk are they actually taking on because they want to be able to manage the not um, allowing them to take on too much risk as an insurer? And then the, the organizations are trying to find out, well, what is the right amount of cyber insurance do yeah. I need? What is that impact in my organization? What's the right level of premium? So it's still in the newness. It, we are still seeing it to increase. Uh, we'll continue to see an increase but it's not something that most organizations have adopted today. What are some common myths about cyber risks and cybersecurity? Yeah, some of the common myths uh, that we typically see would be is that my organization's not a target or, you know, there's really no value in, in targeting my organization. And, you know, in some instances, when you kind of look at your peer organization, you may, you may get that feeling. But as we talked about, when it came things like ransomware, every organization's a target. You know, if there's a, uh, you know, some type of information and it's easy to conduct against your organization and, you know, there's a high degree of probability that you're going to be able to pay that we've seen in the market, they're going to continue to focus on you. We know that, especially in small, medium organizations, I think some of the stats that the industry show is that for those organizations, the cost of the breach is significant in comparison to, say, the revenues in order to be able to absorb that, absorb that. And about 60% of the small, medium organizations that have experienced a breach are out of business in about six months. Really? That's wow, that's, a, that's quite a startling stat. Absolutely. Um, some of the other myths is that uh, we haven't experienced a breach or we feel secure. And, you know, in Deloitte, we actually conducted a survey last year around corporate Canada where we actually did a number of interviews. And, and that's, that's very much what the market had told us. We feel secure. We feel we have the right protection mechanisms. But when we started to probe and ask questions, we really found that there was a false sense of security. Right. Many organizations were either not well prepared and being able to even identify if they were breached. They weren't running the exercises in order to be able to understand if there's actually a breach or a compromise already existing within the organizations. And they surely were not ready when an incident was to occur that they would be able to be what we call resilient. Wow. So how do you protect yourself? How does an organization protect themselves against a cyber attack? Absolutely. Is um, Part of it is that you do have to be smart about how you spend your resources. And, um, you know, one of the things that we tell organizations is that you almost have to look at it in a degree of sophistication and degree of determination as it relates to the attackers. And what I mean by that is, you know, if it's a low degree of sophistication and determination, so things like accident, things like um, what we would call script kitties or uh, the script kitties, script kitties, <laughs> what are those? <laughs> So typically when the, the word hacker would be used, people think of very skilled individuals, the ones that are writing the code, the one that are actually originating a lot of the, the sophisticated types of attacks. One of the things that they do is that once they've executed against it, either they're bored and they actually want to post that, they want a deferred attribution. So what they'll do is they'll just post it to the internet, to the dark web. 
And what is the dark web? I love all this all this terminology. <laughs> yeah, the, the dark web is essentially almost like what you would see with the normal internet, but it's basically a, a forum where you can actually find a lot of uh, malicious uh, things like selling of uh, weapons and drugs and uh, and all the stuff that you wouldn't really want to find. How right? do you access the dark web? Sure. So the, the, the dark web, it's not an easy thing. So there is some technologies such as Tor that allow you to actually be able to access the dark web. But even though you're able to access and see it, what you're not always able to do is access the forms where a lot of this is actually being sold and talked about. And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously they're very cautious of who they let in and what they disclose. So in some cases, you have to almost be invited in by referral. In some ways, there's (laughs) initiations in order to be able to do that. But that's really where a lot of the... um, the malicious behavior actually starts to happen. So why would someone want to post in on the dark web? Is it just, is it a bragging type situation? There's certainly bragging types of situations, but it's also where a lot of the commerce actually happens as well. So for example, even when you mentioned your loyalty card uh, being compromised, what'll happen is that probably one person would actually execute that type of attack. They would procure a lot of those procurement, those loyalty cards or procure that a lot of that data they would then go to the dark web in order to be able to commerce or sell that. Oh, wow. And that's where a lot of the transactions and the, the communications take place. What about script kitties? Oh, yeah. So script kitties is essentially once you have those hackers, they're the ones that actually, like I say, the skill developing it, they'll actually post it to the dark web. Script kitties are the ones that actually have the curiosity. They have a bit of capability, but they're surely not going to be the ones that are actually going to develop the code. What they're really good at is actually taking the code and re-executing it. Okay. So it's basically just like writing a command or running a script, as we call it, in order to be able to execute the same type of attack with the same type of damage, but they have surely don't have the same level of intellect and experience that the, uh, the hackers would. So how do you protect yourself? How, do you put virus protection, those types of things that we all are, are very familiar with in our personal computers? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it starts with being what we call vigilant, right? Understanding, again, what do, we, what do you care about, either as a person? wars in your organization as well um, because we know that you can't protect everything equally not everyone has unlimited resources so you want to make sure that you protect the, the assets with the greatest impact or value so that's step number one becoming becoming more aware two is getting a sense of well who would want to attack me mm-hmm. like what's the what's the motive and it's moving beyond the you know the fallacy of that no one would want to attack me but what would be the motives behind that how would they leverage that the, my crown jewels what would be the impact and then that'll start to determine, well, what are the right size controls? What we do know is that is, you know, with all the fancy movies and everything that you hear about mm-hmm. in terms of sophistication, over 90% of the attacks occur due to poor security hygiene. So all of the security basics are lacking in many organizations that are leading to a lot of these incidents. So to your point, you want to actually focus on the basics. You want to focus on making sure that you have the right up-to-date operating systems, that you're using things such as antivirus, that you're, you know, if you're connected to the internet, you're using things like firewalls. You're educating yourself, you're educating your employees on identifying a lot of the suspicious behavior, because that is really one of the weakest links. For the more, you know, the bigger organizations, and I go back to that determination, sophistication, the ones that actually now have to worry about the more sophisticated type of attacker with a lot more determination, that's where you're going to start to invest in things such as, you know, detection capabilities. Mm -hmm. You actually may engage in a managed security services provider that actually does this for a living and that can actually do it in a more holistic way. You want to start to share information with the industry that you work in, because usually what will happen is they'll run campaigns. What they're going to execute against yourself it's probably going to look and smell like what they're going to actually execute oh, wow. against a different company. So why not do more knowledge sharing in terms of being able to understand that? 
And then the last thing is that resilience side, making sure that you have the right processes to understand if you're to be breached, are we going to be able to manage that in a sophisticated way? Are we running uh, what we call simulations or war gaming in order to be able to look at different experiences like ransomware to test those, those mechanisms out? That's great. Fantastic advice. Thanks so much for joining us today, Mark. No, no, it's a pleasure to be here and uh, stay secure. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the CPA Success Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Visit www.cpacanada forward slash podcast 